Welcome to the very first Heiko Medals podcast about stories that inspire us. My name is Wim Schalken, and I'm the founder and owner of Heiko Medals. And I'll be your host for today. If you don't know what Heiko Medals is all about, I would definitely encourage you to check us out on HeikoMedals.com, on social media at Heiko Medals. What we do is we design medals specifically for hikers, backpackers, and mountaineers for trails or mountains from all over the world. As you can probably imagine, through this hobby, we have been able to get in touch with the hiker community, which is amazing. But you hear some incredible stories. And we always had the idea, we have to do something with these stories. But it's been sitting out there for a long time. One of the incredible stories that we heard about recently is uh, from our first guest. So I'd like to bring our first guest in, Aaron Toms. Thank you so much for joining us today. And welcome. Thank you. Aaron, so we got in touch for the first time, I think it was October last year, after I found out what you had done, and we'll talk about that shortly. And I have to tell you, even though we've had heard many incredible stories, but when I heard your story, I was like, I, I, I have so many questions, I have to talk to you. That was kind of the, the idea. Now let we got to do a podcast, right? Maybe this is going to be the only episode. I hope not. But And you were kind enough right away to volunteer as well. It's like, yeah, I'll be glad to be your guest. So it took a little longer to get started, but I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you sending me some medals after my adventures. I think the first one I got from you was for my Colorado 14ers. And then mm-hmm. I also got the rim to rim to rim to rim as well, which I did twice. And now the management incline. And I think it's so cool because a lot of times with FKTs, they're not organized races, you know, so you don't get the medal, but it's an awesome way to look back on those memories. That's how it started for me as well. I hiked the John Muir Trail and there was nothing. And it's funny, right? Because you have done the rim to rim to rim twice, but I have medals for the rim to rim and rim to rim to rim. So do I need to now have a medal for the rim to rim to rim to rim to rim? Yeah, well, I'm backing with you. I need I need two of those. And exactly. like, there are people who have actually done that like four or five times in a row. They'll be out oh, there my. like all week just going back and forth across the Grand Canyon. <laughs> That's insane. So how long did it take you? Took me a little over 25 hours. Oh my. And it was just shy of 100 miles with... About 26,000 feet of climbing, you drop down about 5,000 feet when you're going down the south rim, and then you gain about 7,000 feet when you're going up the north rim. Oh, wow. So it's funny because I looked at that, and I looked at the date, and I think you did that about one week after we were there. I was there with my son for the first time hiking the Grand Cape. We just went south to the river on the south side and then back up on Bright Angel. Definitely not what you did. I heard a statistic saying that only 1% of people who visit the Grand Canyon actually venture below the rim, which I think is kind of sad. And I think more people should go down there because it's yeah. really so incredible seeing all the different layers. And yeah, I had done rim to rim to rim three times before I went and did it, but I wasn't prepared for <laughs> how I would feel doing it twice in a row. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And honestly, that is almost nothing compared to what you did later. So, but let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about you. So you're from Colorado. I was born and raised on the front range in Colorado, which is kind of what we refer to as like the, you know, Denver, Boulder area. I really like wasn't that outdoorsy until later on in my life. And I went to college in upstate New York. 
once I moved away, I realized all I had taken for granted growing up in Colorado, the mountains just in my backyard. It was really only once I moved back that I started just spending like every day in the mountains. You're kidding me. So you really didn't, even growing up, you didn't really spend that time because now you're, you're there every day, I think, in the mountains. I went on like casual day hikes with my family and I've been skiing since I was three, but it's been very on and off throughout the years. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I'm truly passionate about the outdoors until I moved back after college. So you are definitely an endurance athlete, but you're it's it's we talked a bit a little bit about yesterday right so it's definitely not a trail runner it's more than that you're really a mountain runner right technical mountain runner is that what you prefer i do i think there's a difference between mountain running and trail running trail running is more so on like cruisy single track trails which i still do and still love but mountain running is you know where you're not necessarily on a trail all the time and it's yeah rocky and it's more scrambly you may have to put your hands down at times and that's what i truly love so and i have seen pictures of you summiting 14 is in colorado in a dress and high heels is there a story behind that thing yes that's a another side project of mine as you can young screen that was me climbing long's peak in high heels and it started Back in 2020, as more of a joke, to be completely honest, I had finished climbing all the 14ers for my first round and wanted to, you know, celebrate and go all out, get dressed up. And naturally, if I'm going to get dressed up, I'm going to also <laughs> wear high heels. And so I repeated Mount Elbert, which was my first 14er ever. It also happens to be the highest peak in Colorado. And I had a blast with it. And it just kind of became a tradition. And I have a younger sister who's climbed a handful of 14ers and high heels with me. And now I'm at 23, including some of the more technical ones like Long's, Pyramid, Capital, the Maroon Bells. Wow. So you're still going up sometimes in high heels? I am. It's mainly a summer project, as you might imagine. I have done a couple. I did Mount Democrat and Belford when there was a little bit of snow on the ground, but they almost act as like one giant crampon. Wow. That's, but how about your feet? I mean, that can be comfortable. Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive. And I tell people it's not as bad as it seems. And <laughs> I understand it sounds crazy, but when you think about the physics of it, they give you some leverage on the way up. It's you know, similar to you know, like the lifts and snowshoes or skis. And so I feel like I'm actually doing less work. <laughs> <laughs> you may set a new trend though. Let's see. I yeah. know. High heels are the way of the future. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. So let's talk about what you did, what, what kind of triggered our attention. So you summited 57 of the 14ers in Colorado. And, you know, if you pause there, it's like, well, that's very impressive. But then you did it in 14 days and 10 hours. And I had to double back, like, wait, what? How technically is that even possible? So, and then it's unsupported as well. So no help. Talk me through that, right? So how did you get the idea to do that? 14ers are super special to me. Having grown up here, I would really say the 14ers are the origin of 
you know, my career as an endurance athlete. That's where I realized like, oh, okay, I have some speed and some potential in this sport. I really wanted to honor them in a big effort over the summer. So let's talk through this. So for people who know Colorado, the 14th, there's actually 58, but these 57 are the ones that are on public lands that you can easily access to. So how do you logistically, right? Because you, you want to do this as fast as possible and there's 57 to do. So how many, so you have to coordinate the summits themselves, right? And there's a few that you could probably do connected and then find the trailhead and then also do the driving in between. So did it take long to even figure out the logistics where you would go and how, what the route would be? It actually didn't take too long. When I was planning this all out, I looked at previous uh, 14er records, particularly Andrew Hamilton. He's kind of the king of 14ers in Colorado. He has the supported 14er record in nine days and change. And he's also, if he hasn't already passed, he's close to a thousand 14er summits. So he knows these mountains in and out. I looked at his logistics when he did his supported effort and mapped mine around his. During the effort, it kind of got thrown off due to storms. Normally, like you start in the San Juans and you finish with Long's Peak on the Front Range. That is what makes the most sense logistically. But instead of finishing on Long's, I had to finish on Capitol Peak in the Elk Range, just up above Aspen, which was also a very cool peak to finish on. It's like one of the most iconic 14ers in Colorado with the knife's edge. So I was still very happy about that. Mountains are beautiful during the day, but honestly, they can get a little frightening at night with the weather, just the darkness. And I assume when you're doing this this fast, you, you had to hike at night sometimes, I assume. I think because I was going into this project for the sake of a record, I was willing to like take more risks and push through times that I might not normally place myself in. I have done a lot of night hiking and backpacking in the dark in my past too. So I think that definitely helped. And you said, I mean, weather is very unpredictable in the mountains. You said there was a storm that kind of, because two weeks is a long time. You can't leave, look, at the, look at the forecast. Yeah, especially like mid to late July in Colorado. The afternoon lightning storms are the biggest danger when you're at that altitude. You don't want to be at 14K with, you know, lightning above you. And I've been there before and it's terrifying and all the hair stands on your head because of the static electricity. But again, you know, since I was pursuing a record, I was willing to take more risks than I normally would. There was one main storm and it was the day that I did the Crestone Group. So Humboldt, Kit Carson, Challenger, Crestone Peak and Crestone Needle. I combined all five of those peaks into one big loop and went up the backside of Crestone Peak and Crestone Needle, which people don't normally do. But I had scouted that route beforehand and it was bluebird skies for the majority of the day. I had just summited Crestone Peak and the weatherman I was working with for the project, Chris Tomer, he texted me and he was like, Aaron, look north at those clouds. Be very cautious. Sure enough, I tried my best to make it as fast across the Crestone Traverse as I could. And I was only a few hundred feet below the summit of Crestone Needle when the clouds just 
moved in so fast, hail, lightning, rain. And so I took shelter in like this little rock cave for over an hour. And when I thought it was kind of dying down, I went up higher and more came in. So I had to wait it out for like another hour. At this point, my phone was dead. My Garmin inReach was almost dead. I didn't have any extra food, water, layers, no headlamp because I wasn't prepared to be out there that long during the night. And so it was very scary. And I learned some lessons about preparation. Normally, I like to move as light and fast as possible. So, you know, this was out of my control and had the storm not passed when it did, there was the potential that I could have been up there all night. But fortunately, it passed in time for me to get over the technical section of Crestone Needle. And there's like this low fifth class wall that's pretty exposed. So I got over that down the other side to Broken Hand Pass and climbed or hiked the rest out in the dark. That is unbelievable. Can you get lost easily there? How does that work? I've done the 14ers enough times and, and like via multiple routes and different seasons. So I have a pretty good grasp of where I'm going. I also downloaded all the maps to my watch in advance, just in case, you know, anything happened. I knew where I was and I used the Coros Vertex watch. So it's great for that. It also has a really long battery life. Oh, that's that's a good that's good to have. Yeah. yeah. So I so then okay, you you come down of the mountain and you go back to your car, but you gotta sleep at some point in time. How did you do that? That was another thing during this project. I went into it thinking that I could get less sleep than I actually needed. So the first three days, I climbed all of the San Juan fourteeners and got an hour and a half sleep total. And then I quickly realized that wasn't very sustainable. So my goal throughout the project evolved more into just finishing and, you know, staying safe and healthy. Originally, I had planned on finishing in 12 to 13 days, but it ended up being a little over 14 in the end, which I'm totally content with. You know, I didn't want to like place myself in danger or more importantly, place other people in danger when I was driving. So there is this picture that we're looking at right now, right? It's where we see you on a trail, on the ground, and it looks like you're taking a nap. Can you describe what's going on here? Yes. Yeah, so that picture was taken at my finish, actually, and that's 3,000 feet below the summit of Capitol Peak. There's a rule when it comes to Colorado 14er records, and it's more of a tradition that for each peak or group of peaks, you have to start and end 3,000 feet below the summit. My partner, Chris Fisher, took that picture of me. He met me 3,000 feet below the summit of Capitol, which you can see in the background. And yeah, at that point, I think the thing I was most looking forward to was a nap and a shower. I was wondering, so when you hit your last summit, it doesn't mean you're done. You still have to go now 3,000 feet down, apparently, to be officially finished. That yeah. makes sense, right? Yeah. Okay. I was wondering, where do you start? So that's really kind of the guide. That's the official start then. Yeah. So for day one, I started in Chicago Basin in the San Juans. And people normally take a train to get back there. It's pretty remote. I didn't get a train ticket on time. So... The day before, day zero, I guess you could call it, I had to hike like 15, 16 miles and set up camp 
3,000 feet below the summit of Wyndham. And then I woke up really early the next morning, like 2 a.m., went and tagged all four peaks. And then I had to run down to catch the train before it left. I think that was at like 11 a.m. So if I hadn't caught the train, then (laughs) I would have, you know, either had to wait another day or start the project all over. Yeah, unbelievable. So this is, you did it unsupported, right? Can you tell what that means? Sure. So FKT technically has three categories. There's supported, which is when you're allowed, you know, full crew to help prepare food for you, drive for you, hike with you. There's unsupported, which is when you carry everything from the start. And the only thing you're allowed to collect along the way is water. And they're self-supported, which is what I did because I had like a car to help drag me in between the trailheads. But I had to, you know, prepare all of my own food. And I did a bunch of meal preparation in advance. So I had that in a cooler in my car. And that lasted about the first week. And then it just turned into like <laughs> getting in as many calories as possible, you know, like the junk food gas station diet. And it was still not enough. I think I lost like over 10 pounds during this record, which I, I didn't have to lose. By the end of this, I was just like skin and bones. So yeah, the self-supported definitely made this uh, an entirely different animal, you know, having yeah. to drive myself in between the trailheads, whereas people who pursue supported records would normally take that time to like sleep while their crew mm-hmm. drives them. Yeah, unbelievable. Wow. So, and just to put things in perspective, right? So, the, that's the total is about 365 miles on foot. And I think the total elevation gain that you did is, uh, is almost 160,000. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. How long did you sleep when you were done? I think that afternoon, I took a nap until around dinner time and my family and my partner met me in Glenwood Springs and then we all went out to dinner that night and then I went straight back to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So clearly, Erin, right? So you're physically very, very strong, but you also have to be mentally strong. And I saw a post uh, from you a few weeks ago where you spent, I think, six hours in a gym on a Stairmaster. And I didn't know if I had to be impressed or call for help because I I'm a, I love running. I love long distance running. For the life of me, I can't even run two miles on a treadmill. So why six hours on a stair? And it's not, I saw the video. It's not like if I'm on a Stairmaster, I'm just right, really slow. You were sprinting up that thing. So what were, what were you doing? That was when we were having like a cold front in Colorado and temperatures were in the negatives. And you know, normally I try to run or exercise outside as much as possible, but that just seemed a little too dangerous for me. I was also recovering from foot surgery at the time. I was trying to limit myself to more lower impact exercises and the Stairmaster is a good one for that. But I didn't really have any intentions other than just, you know, getting some vert and just challenging my mind mostly to see how long I could stay in that environment. Mm. But I'm totally with you like treadmills, like indoor gyms. It's, it's so challenging mentally and it just, it doesn't feel quite as authentic as being outside. 
so what do you do mentally what do you do you listen to music what do you focus on to kind of not lose your mind and want to get off that thing that day i did listen to music podcasts watch a couple tv episodes yeah sometimes you know i like just to not listen to anything when i'm outside and listen to the sound of nature other times it is nice to listen to music and podcasts it really just depends on my mood so then a week later we can find you in Manitou Springs. You're doing the uh, Manitou Incline and you set the fastest known uh, record there, the fastest known time for it's female to do the uh, incline. Was it was it's 13 times, right? So the total was 11 hours, 11 minutes and something like that and 22 seconds. That was it. That's usually how I operate. If you get to know me, I'm very spontaneous, like last minute person and i'm like let's just go and <laughs> see how you do but yeah. that was my first time on the manitou incline ever actually which you know as a colorado native it's like one of the iconic endurance and hiking test pieces so yeah i did an inclinathon which is essentially 13 laps up and down uh, incline. And since it's just shy of a mile up, it equates to almost a marathon with a lot more climbing than your typical <laughs> road marathon. It ended up being like between 25 and 26,000 feet of vert. And so I had the second fastest time in history. I shaved a little over four hours off the women's time. And then uh, a guy named Wade Gardner, he has the men's record at 10 and a half hours. Yeah, congratulations. That's amazing. So you started because I saw you were finishing in the dark. I started a little after sunrise and finished just before sunset. So I, I was able to get by without using a headlamp. The last lap coming down, it started getting a little dark, but I was still able to make out the steps. Yeah. So what's the hardest part? Is it the going up or the going down part? I would say going down. It just yeah. takes a completely different toll on your body. And going into this, I was like, I climb 13ers, I climb 14ers. Um, I'm used to steep terrain, but stairs are just totally different impact on your body. And my legs felt fine until about lap eight going down. I think that's when it started to like really kick in in my quads. <laughs> so how long were you not able to climb stairs afterwards i was hobbling around for like two to three days after i still went on a hike the day after of course you did I, I needed the fresh air right yeah you do you do yeah so the fastest known time right so how does that work do you then submit something or is it like strava or your, your watch what do you do i record all of my activities on my Koros watch which then uploads to Strava. But if you go to fastestknowntime.com, it shows you all the instructions. And essentially, you just need to upload your GPX file, which you can pull off of either your watch or Strava. And, and that's how you verify it. So, so how many fastest known times do you have now total? I believe that was number 37. Oh, so wow. I have some that are... Sub one hour and they're just like short red line sprints. And then I have others like the Grand Canyon, my 14ers. And I did an Everest on Mount Sanitas in Boulder, which was 
enough laps to hit the 29,000 vertical feet of gain or like the height of Mount Everest from sea level. And that one was about 24 hours too. So yeah, I like, you know, the longer endurance efforts, I feel like those are where you get the most out of your mind. But I also like feeling strong and fast in the shorter efforts too. That's amazing. Wow. So at Hiker Metals, we care a lot about hiker safety as well. So we've recently, we actually partnered with uh, Jester Wallace Production on a documentary, Safe and Found. It's about the uh, search and rescue organization in Haywood County. It's a great documentary for people to watch. You know, if you want to learn about hiker safety, what you can, the simple things you can do to stay safe, you're out there a lot and on your own, very remote. Is this a specific concern for you? Do you do anything special to stay safe? You know, I would actually say I feel safer in the backcountry by myself than I do like in city most of the time. I will add I've spent a lot of time in the backcountry. I'm aware of, you know, my abilities and my speed and what type of gear I'm going to need, which I think is one of those things that you have to learn over time. But I would say the most important, you know, thing is just to being aware of what you need and your speed and how long you're going to be out there. Mm -hmm. Hey, so what's next for you? What are you training for now? In about a week, actually, I travel down to Mexico to climb Pico de Orizaba, which is an 18,000 foot volcano, the highest peak in Mexico. And that'll be the highest I've ever been before. I've climbed all the 14ers in the lower 48. So the highest I've been is Mount Whitney, which is like 14.5. So I'm going up about 4K higher than that. And I've never had any bad reactions to altitude before, but I'm curious how my, my body will react at that altitude. Yeah. That's higher than Everest Base Camp. How, how long is it going to take you to do that? You're going to go all the way to the summit? Yeah, I'm hoping to summit it... Maybe like three times before I actually go for speed effort on it. The men's record on it is four hours up and down. And it's like 13 miles, a little over 7,000 feet of climbing from the Northwest Ridge. So he went, David Hedges, who also has the record for Nolan's 14. He went up it in like two hours, 54 minutes down in an hour and seven minutes, which is pretty crazy when you think about running down 7,000 feet on the side of a volcano in just a little over an hour. So I'm hoping to bring the women's time as close to that as possible. Yeah. Well, wish you good luck. And maybe, you know, I, we, I always would love to have you back to, to, so you can talk, to share more of your story. So it was really great to have you on here. Yes. I love to chat more adventures with you in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Aaron. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for uh, watching or listening to this very first podcast. We plan to have new episodes coming out every month. Stay tuned for more, and we'll see you on the trails. Thank you so much. Bye.